This is so embarrassing. Talking about religion is so embarrassing. Yeah. I think no matter where you stand on it, unless maybe you're like a very religious person and are taught to have pride in what you believe in, like if it's a little more wishy-washy, it can feel like cringe. Yeah. But I mean, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to. You know, yeah, but it is. It I is. mean, it's cringe to do it like on the podcast, but like in person, like if I were to meet somebody and like get into it, if someone takes spirituality seriously, it's easy for me to like, I don't know, stop judging myself. Yeah, I I because there's that. nothing to be embarrassed of. Like it's a good and beautiful thing to have a connection to spirituality. It, but is it like obnoxious to like make a podcast about it? Kind of, maybe it yeah. depends on what we do with it. Let's just hope. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we carry it home. The listeners at home do not take this to be obnoxious. I mean, yeah, I think we all have like a little bit of obnoxiousness in our, you know. Yeah, but mine's about own. like politics, not well, religion. But that's so much worse. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm proud of that. Right. And okay, I'm proud so of it. So then this will be easy for you. No, I'm not your enemy, I'm worse. well on that note um i'm evangelia and i'm emily and welcome to what's gonna happen So this concept is a little hard for Emily, and not for the reasons it's usually hard for people to talk about religion. Yeah, no rabbi molested me. I do not have religious trauma. So what is it about the words religion and spirituality that make you, like, physically recoil? Because you've been dreading this episode since we first came up with the idea, and I think it's kind of a good framing device for it, because I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this have a compromised relationship with spirituality as well. I know my journey has been tumultuous, to say the least. Well, the word spirituality makes me think of, like, tarot. Like, there is a reason why I proposed the hippie fascist episode. Like, my association with the word spirituality is pretty much what we were talking about in that episode. Mm. I think of, like, new age hippie freaks that accidentally become fascists or appropriate other cultures, like with Wicca and, like, white girls doing voodoo and whatnot. I know the word spirituality is just supposed to represent your individual relationship with your beliefs, but my association with it has just been tainted. I see. So you're thinking of like material spiritualism that idea of people taking on spirituality as like a personality and becoming fixated on the aesthetics of it and like all of those external qualities of spirituality like your problem isn't necessarily with people's pursuit of a higher power it's with the culture of people getting their egos wrapped up in their beliefs which is ironically antithetical to the whole point of having a spiritual connection in the first place. Right, yeah. Like, I I don't have as much of a negative association with the word religion. I think that's just the contrarian in me because I'm so used to, like, those, like, atheists, like, the 2008 New Atheist Movement, um, mm. which as a fifth grader I was in- <laughs> intertwined in. Not intertwined, but, Why like... did you say that? I don't know. <laughs> I got wrapped up with some pretty bad guys in the 2008 New Age atheist movement. Yeah, and when you say intertwined, I'm like, whoa. You know what? Those guys, a lot of them became fascists, too. So, Mm. but that, those people, like, atheists that are really, like, that almost evangelize their beliefs, because I think a lot of them were raised Christian, and, like, they come from a Christian background, and a lot of their criticism about religion is just about Christianity. So, like, why do former Christians complaining about Christianity bother you? Listen, they can complain all they want. Like, a lot of the time, they just end up grouping all of the, not just monotheistic religions, but all religions together when they critique the system of religion, when they're really, like, they're talking about, like, the Catholic Church or Christianity, and they end up being Islamophobic and anti-Semitic along the way a lot of the time. Yeah. No, I get that. Damn. Honks for that. (laughs) Honk if you, like, former Christians that are now atheists. (laughs) We're going to sell those bumper stickers on the website. Yeah, I think people will buy that. No, yeah, I get that. Because, like, people who are hardcore atheists can end up being super culturally insensitive because they forget that all, like, white Christians aren't the only social groups that uphold monotheistic beliefs. Or, like, maybe they just don't care, but I think that that's, like, culturally ignorant. And a lot of the time, I feel like atheism is just as dogmatic of a religion as any other because... It has this, like, it declares this absolute thing that's so human-centric. Like, there is no God. Like, we just know that. 
like it just can't be like that just I don't know there's something that's it's just boring to me like isn't it boring not to be curious I even? it's definitely boring I think that Christians are taught to evangelize so when they turn into atheists they just like continue to evangelize because they think like that's what you're supposed to do with your religious beliefs obviously not all Christians um, <laughs> hashtag not all Christians but you know some of them <laughs> Yeah, there was actually an article in Atlas Obscura by Sarah Lasko that says that the FBI and CIA recruit Mormons from BYU to work for them. Basically, they're an ideal demographic because they're usually cheaper to do security clearances on for some reason. And like they often speak another language that's just like part of the belief. So like from their mission trips, I guess, and they usually have pretty low risk lifestyles. So they're used to obeying orders. And their relationship with God primes them to put their efforts towards something much bigger than them. In this case, it would be serving their country. That's why they're getting recruited by, like, the CIA and FBI. They also have respect for religious texts, so they respect the secrecy of documents more. Like, there's just, like, the list goes on with the parallels and, like, yeah. That makes sense. You get it, yeah. But, okay, we've kind of gone off track. Like, why do you think that you jump to these associations? I mean, when I think of the word spirituality, it's, like, a pretty intimate thing. I think a lot about myself and my connection to the world around me, but it, it seems like, you know, your brain makes it as impersonal as possible, almost like it's an opinion rather than like an inherent aspect of the human experience. I don't know. I think I do that with a lot of things. Like I treat a lot of things like they're opinions. Anything mm. is an opinion if you're annoying enough. <laughs> Um, you know, I think it's cringe. I think it's cringe to be spiritual, so I do not indulge it. But that's like if someone's like, I exercise and you like roll your eyes. It's just a natural part of self-care. Like, why is, you know? Because I'm annoyed by seeing those kind of people on the internet. Listen, a lot of internet gym rats annoy me too. I think this is a touch grass moment, babe. Like, you can't get so pissed that people are collecting crystals on TikToks that you deny yourself the spiritual journey. Listen, I'm just a hater. I'm a hater at heart. And a lot of these <laughs> spiritual people, they deserve my hatred. Nobody hate, who, like, hates on spirituality has a healthy relationship with God, though. Like, I'm just not interested in it, though. Like, I have a legitimate problem with the spiritual community that I see because, like, I think a lot of them are, one, condescending, claiming, oh, I've reached an enlightenment I'm just so much more enlightened than you acting like I'm doing something wrong by not being spiritual or they like to talk in this flowery meaningless language like what are you talking about what does that mean they say these like things with no concrete like what's like an example them. of that like just like I don't know like talking about oh connectedness the spiritual journey what does that mean yeah, I mean, I think if, if someone's not doing a good job of, like, putting what they're talking about in context, like, you know, they're not going to be easy to follow and they'll seem, like, didactic or annoying. But, like, if someone has, like, a good narrative for, like, what they're trying to say, like, you know, you can respect that. Like, that's not an issue with, like, spiritual people. I think that's just an issue that a lot of influencers and, like, internet personalities have, you know. And... The, also, I think you're generalizing a lot. Like, you know, you're super into... Are you just burping back? <laughs> like, I'm trying to make this more... I feel like hearing just, like, these little, like, croaks. Frog ASMR. This is the frogs that I sent after all the spiritual people in the world just coming. They're croaking in the background. I literally saw you out of the corner of my eye. I was trying to be like, are you fucking... <laughs> Because you're, like, looking off dead-eyed, <laughs> slack jaw, just, like, burping quietly. <laughs> I just, I mean, maybe it's not going to be picked up, but it's, it's like. Not, okay, that's so. good. Okay. No, but yeah, what I was saying is, like, you're super into history, for instance. And many people think that history buffs tend to glorify the past and are interested in history with, like, some kind of weird racial fixation or motivation. And a lot of them are. Yeah. And, like, you know, or a lot of people say that feminists and rad femmes are all TERFs, you know. But, like, that's not true. It's like we've analyzed so many different social groups, even on this show. And every time we have, we've come to the conclusion that, like, you can't judge a whole based on a fraction of their demographic because it's not fair. It's like you're giving into the gentrification of spirituality by associating it with the groups that, like, you know, appropriate it or whatever. It, and I just think it, in order to honor the history of spirituality, it's best to adjust your view of it and give credit to its ancient roots and not 
you know, what, like we have to think outside of America, outside of Europe, like where where do these schools of thoughts come from? It's not the tarot bitches. So saying like the whole spiritual community is like these representatives online just like minimizes what it is. Okay, you win this round, but I, I have a question for you. Okay. What does it mean to be spiritual? What, is it, what does it actually mean to connect with God? Like, I don't know what I'm missing because I don't even know what that looks like outside of organized religion and spiritual materialism. Those are fantastic questions. <laughs> and I think I'm still trying to figure out my answers to a lot of them, but I'm going to try to, like, give you my best answer that I can today based on my experiences, but I, th- I think it's first important for both of us to establish a little context for those of you who might not know us, like our backgrounds. Okay, well, in case you didn't know, based on every single episode of the show <laughs> so far, <laughs> and my entire social media presence, mm-hmm. and just my face and voice <laughs> and like essence, mm-hmm. I was raised Jewish, and I went to Hebrew school, um, but weirdly enough, like, the Jewish education, like Hebrew school education, is more about like the rituals and like things you do to celebrate Jewish holidays and less about like believing in God. And obviously, like there is emphasis on believing in God, not as much as you would think. Um, but you know, I don't really I don't really believe God is like a guy in the sky. I think God is like the the oneness of everything to be cringe about it. Okay, but right there. See, like, you need to kill that for this conversation to work. You can't be judgmental of your own genuine beliefs. Nobody is laughing at you for talking about God. And I think it's really important to analyze, like, why your brain goes to that place of defensiveness when you start to get sentimental. All right, well... Continue your thought. I think that religion serves a purpose. I think it serves the purpose of providing people with community and answering the tough questions, like, what happens after we die? And is there a point to it all? Those are good ones. And obviously those things can be addressed through philosophy and stuff, but it doesn't fulfill that human need as well as religion does. So what is that human need that isn't satisfied by philosophy and science? Well, philosophy and even science has a sense of uncertainty. They have a sense of uncertainty that religion doesn't. I mean, that depends on which path you take. Some people find god in the complete uncertainty of life totally true i totally get that but i think religion just provides a level of comfort and certainty that other things don't saying like this is a doctrine this is true Mm -hmm. it's not like this can be disproven if we do a study that's good enough or if somebody writes a good essay like no yeah i agree i think that that is why having a spiritual connection is integral to being satisfied in life you know i mean every Mental health professional, every addiction recovery program I've encountered, everyone who has studied religious texts, like the ancient ones, will tell you that there is a benefit to having an active relationship with the higher power. And some of that, I think, comes from the benefits of submitting part of your ego to something bigger than you. And if you can acknowledge that you're ruled by something else beyond all comprehension, it will humble you. And I think by being humbled, like that makes gratitude more accessible. And so your life is just going to be better if you're like a more gracious person. And to your point about comfort, you know, it, t- it takes some of the weight off of you. Like realizing that you don't control the world can be the most terrifying and the most alleviating feeling. And that I'm like, I just think that that's something a lot of people need right now. And have always needed, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of comfort in the thought that nothing matters. I'm a proponent of positive nihilism. It takes the weight off me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we go through that journey of being like, you know, you start off as a kid not worrying about your purpose. And then you realize that you might have to have one if you want a will to live. And then you realize that there is no purpose and a lot of people get pissed about that and stop there. And that's nihilism. Like just thinking that you're kind of owed a reason to exist. But then it's like you're saying you can take it a step further into absurdism and just be like, sweet, nothing matters. So I can just make meaning out of whatever I want. And that's when you can take control back in a sense because you've submitted to this bigger idea that you're just a speck. No, yeah. I mean, I've been through all of that for sure. Um, my come to well, my first come to God moment was the first time I took acid, um, <laughs> and I was in my friend's bathroom mm. crying telling God that if he made it so I could feel my mouth again, I would never watch porn ever again in my <laughs> life. Now, when... Bitch, you lied, I'm sure. When I woke up... No, because God didn't make my mouth 
made God, wow. God did not give me a feeling in my mouth He was back. like, she's not ready to stop watching Yeah, porn. so I <laughs> continued to watch porn. Looking back on that whole fiasco, I was definitely just thirsty. Whoa. And, but the second time I did acid, it was very corny. I had that, like, we're all one. So how did you get from a point in life where, like, your first trip went that way and then the next one went the completely other way. Oh, because I had no sleep the first time. Oh, okay. That's so that was just the like the deprived mind. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend like doing acid on no sleep to anybody. Oh, yeah, neither would I. You meet some pretty crazy You might spirits. end up in a bathroom <laughs> crying, so, yeah, begging God, God, forgetting about Bev's. Yeah. You needed a Bev so bad. Yeah. I often find myself in the bathroom talking to God without... Acid. <laughs> well, that's just like being lactose intolerant. Yeah, that's yeah. What, when you have a little a little scoop of ice cream. <laughs> Those shits where you have to get completely naked and hope that there's a merciful God out that? there. Like that's like a universal experience of like your clothes just become too overstimulating. Like your body is because like, nah, like, bro. I think it's because you're exerting so much like so much energy, yeah. so much energy <laughs> that like the clothes are just like too hot. You know, like you're overheating. It's such a primal like instinct that everybody has. It's so funny. I mean, people are not meant to watch like fifty percent of listeners. I'd be like, "Damn, you bitches are shitting naked." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I never did that in my life. Um, there's been memes about it, so I know it's true. We're all one. <laughs> We're all one. No, yeah, I think that even if it takes a substance to facilitate that realization, coming to terms with the fact that we're all waves in the same ocean is a very huge step in appreciating our interconnectedness with not only each other, but the world around us, too. The question is, were you able to hold on to that realization and actually apply it to your life? I think that realization made me a little chiller, like it made me less afraid of death because I realized I'll just become part of everything. Yeah, and that's a really cool realization. I feel like I've been facing the idea of death a lot lately because my grandma's in hospice, which makes me sad. So I've been in anticipatory mourning is what I've been told it's called by mental health professionals. And that's been happening for a while. But I think that practicing radical acceptance has been the best way for me to handle it. What is radical acceptance? Um, it's basically the practice of accepting the inevitable, like truly sitting with the reality of what is happening and meeting it without judgment and reframing it so it doesn't feel like something is being taken away from me, but instead it's like something is being returned to where it belongs. And also accepting that I'm not okay with that, <laughs> like at the same time, which it's hard to hold those two things. Like I don't want it to happen and it's going to happen. So like, you know, making do with that, compromising, you know, well, if she's going to die, then I'm going to spend as much time with her as I can. And I'm going to get her to tell me everything about her life and take voice recordings and photos and give her baths and massages, paint her nails, you know, just like spend time with her because I don't want my fear to isolate me from experiencing like life to the best of my capacity. And I feel like we all have a tendency to run from discomfort, but when you embrace it, you can find ways to make it work, you know, with you even if it's like horrible like I obviously you know cry all the time but like I tried yeah I mean I think that that is exactly the purpose of religion and spirituality I try to radically accept things but often I comfort myself about things that make me upset by trying to remind myself that I can always change it like if I'm unhappy about my grades I can study harder if I'm unhappy with my weight I can exercise more but when it comes to things that are out of my control I tend to just get really upset Mm -hmm. And I throw, you know, I get really upset, throw a little tantrum. That's just <laughs> throw, a little tantrum. Throw, a, throw a little tant. Throw a little tant. Yeah, tant. Uh, sometimes you have to throw a little tant before accepting the things you can't change. You know, they didn't, mm -hmm. they didn't think of that when they said that. And that's just, it's when the tantrum starts to inhibit you from moving forward, that's when it becomes a problem. Right, but how do you not get caught up in that? Like, how do you pull yourself out of a tantrum and into the action of dealing with the situation? I mean, the honest answer is that, like, I just tire myself out. Like, you can't freak out forever. It's inevitable that you will run out of steam. I guess the important thing is when you do run out of steam, trying to let that emotion pass instead of holding on to it. You know, even babies, some of the most prolific tantrum throwers in the world, who I have based a lot of my best work on and take great <laughs> inspiration from, you know, they can't throw a tantrum forever. They will fall asleep. And I, I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I see what you're saying, totally. But what if you could figure out how to avoid the tantrum in the first place? 
Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to emotionally exert yourself to your limit every time you're faced with a situation out of your control. You will literally be depleted all the time. Like, what if you could be less reactionary altogether? That sounds like a you problem. Yeah, it is a me problem because you freak out and I need to use distress tolerance skills and spiritual practices that I've learned to calm you down. You're, so you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's not pleasant. So here's, here's what I will ask. You obviously have a clear intellectual understanding of what you believe. So why is it so hard for you to emotionally embrace it? I guess some people get adrenaline from feeling the anxiety and anger that come with not knowing what's going to happen. What's going to happen? That would be a good name for a show. Someone write that down. They said it. They said the thing. <laughs> this is the big moment. <laughs> you said, I, I, like how you said, I guess some people get adrenaline from that. Like, I'm like, so why do you feel that way? You're like, um, I've just heard that others have... Um, <laughs> some people. <laughs> but yeah, to your point, I heard this professor of psychology and neuroscience researcher, Amishi Ja, say that what you pay attention to becomes your life. I don't know if that person coined the term, but... I like that idea. What you pay attention to becomes your life. So like, you know, if you're giving your attention to fulfilling that pattern of anger and anxiety, then your life is going to become one anxious mess out of another. You create like a chaos field. And I get that it's super comfortable to think that way. You know, you can always know what's going to happen if you convince yourself that everything is going to go wrong all the time. It's just the trade-off is that you usually like hyper-vigilant or you deprive yourself from having experiences because you're afraid of them. Or your expectations are exceeded or you're right and it's a win-win situation. Right, but <laughs> most of the time you can't even appreciate when you're right to the fullest because you still have the hollowness of fear. I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but... Then that goes back to the questions I had asked you earlier, like, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it actually mean to connect with God? What do you do? Yeah, so, okay, just a little context for those of you who don't know me. Um, I deal with drug addiction. I have through my adolescence. When I was 17, I went to rehab, and I hate to be the kind of person who, like, found God in rehab, but spiritual awakenings tend to happen when you need them the most. And I guess it's just, like... When you have nowhere else to turn, you kind of got to submit to something and you're going to admit your will, you know, and like admit to yourself that you don't have all of the answers. Sort of like how people start praying when they get into a car accident or how I pray when I hear the first rumblings in my stomach after eating ice cream. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, no. I was like a total wreck, you know, self-harming, starving myself, not sleeping, ruining relationships, desperate for something to alleviate the stresses of my life. So, you know, I, oh, getting a little deep on the pod. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't really talk about this stuff very much in public, but we'll do it here, I guess. I'm just like, I'm traumatized because it's you and you know this stuff, but like, I forget that other people are going to listen. Um, don't judge me, guys. But yeah, when I was like a little kid and I would get to a point of like anxiety or whatever, I would talk to myself in the mirror and try to calm myself down. So one night when I was in rehab, you know, I was alone in my room. I decided to like kind of do that. Like I took all my clothes off and then I looked at myself in the mirror, like really looked deeply at myself for the first time since I was a kid and kind of like reintroduced myself. I was like, whoa, it's, you know, it's been a while. You look kind of like a mess. <laughs> and I just spent the time kind of like admiring the damage that I'd done to myself. And then I started to cry and just like hold myself naked because I wasn't raised religious or anything. So I didn't have a strong bond with God. But in that moment, I was like, fuck it. Like, I've been living as my own God, kind of, because I don't have that connection. So I I think I owe it to myself and to, like, the universe to apologize to myself and forgive myself, you know, for, for what I've done in my past. And then it, it was going to be time to talk to God. So do you, like, literally talk to God? Like, talk to the universe? How did you will yourself to do that if you weren't used to praying and didn't have any sort of practice? Yeah, no, like, literally talking to God. And, like, I, I know that that sounds like, because it was always hard for me to process that phrase, like, God loves you. I feel like that's what people say when trying to convince you to, to do that. And I personally feel like love is such an animal thing, like a plant thing even. 
But if God is as vast as I believe it to be, it's not confined by morals and earthly emotions. You know, in order for me to acknowledge God as a guide for myself, I've had to translate that phrase to God acknowledges you because God's acknowledgement is greater than any love, you know, not necessarily more valuable, but just like greater in size, if that makes sense. And I don't know if God feels love, but I do know that God acknowledges my consciousness because it like my vessel, my body, me being here is evidence of like that. You know, I exist beneath her like I'm connected. You know, my body is honoring God. So if I have to, you know, honor God in some way, it's through being gentle with myself. So apologizing to yourself and being kinder to your body opened that door. Yeah. Yeah. Practicing forgiveness made it easy for me to feel much more comfortable talking to God because like that can be like scary. I don't really talk to myself out loud. Like I know you do. You you've said that. Oh, yeah, I talk to myself, pace around. Yeah, you, you be pacing and, like, whispering under I'd your breath. I literally, like, the whisperings of a madman. <laughs> walking on me. It's, like, 9 a.m. I'm getting dressed. There's clothes everywhere. I'm pacing around. I'm, like, what are you whispering to yourself? Just everything. Like, what, what kind of, like, give me an example. I'm getting bare bones vulnerable here. If you don't at least say, like, what do you talk to? Like, just everything. I'm like, okay, so this is what I have to do. Or, like, you know, I'm gossiping with myself because, you know, I cracked myself up. You're gossiping yeah, with yourself? Like, like what I do you be gossiping like, I can't about? I believe she did that. Like, Who's crazy. doing shit that's like, getting you? Like, did you see her story? <laughs> oh, my God. Who do you look at in your head? Just, you know. Damn, you do not want to be in Emily's burn book. That's, like, <laughs> scary. Yeah, just so you know, if you've ever crossed me, me and the voices, we are talking about you. <laughs> we are talking about you all the time, and we hate you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. But yeah, no, I get that. I mean, it's good for you, I feel like, to talk out loud, yeah. probably. Like, talking out loud to myself was always harder for me. So I had to learn how to do that first before it was easy for me to talk to God um but like in you know my waking moment of being in rehab after I had my little like revelation that I need to talk to God I turned off all the lights and I looked at the stars from the little window because you could see all the stars there it's not like the city where we're at that you can't see any stars at night like it was beaming it was so pretty and so I was just like thanking God for everything that I had it made it really easy because I was like in nature like it was just like a different experience. I feel like it's easier for me to connect to that idea when I'm like looking out at it, like a sky full of stars and not a sky full of other buildings filled with other people with egos. Like it was just easier to like feel vulnerable, I guess. But like I swear to God in front of my eyes, this flash of light streaked across the sky. And I didn't know if it was a shooting star or like a firefly or whatever it was, but like it was real. It happened and it made me so happy. And then the next day at breakfast, like one of the people who worked there turned to me and all the other crackhead girls because we were just like sitting eating breakfast bitches were like throwing their food or fighting with each other but this this woman was like did any of you guys happen to see the comet last night and i was like um yeah i saw the fucking comet last night like literally i saw it no fucking way when the name of the comet was neo wise which it means new knowledge wow isn't that like Come on, bro. That's like, awesome. That was yeah. cool. And like whether Poetic. or not you believe that it was like God that w did that, if I hadn't taken the time to just like take a minute and look out the window, like and just collected myself, like you I wouldn't have seen, have seen that. Yeah. You know? And like the way that I was able to do that was by connecting with spirituality. Like it's a t that's what I mean when I say it's like a tool of like so how it's to like you mean kind of being present. It's like mindfulness, presentness. That's kind of what this yeah. is. Yes. That's what yes. That's what the concept of spirituality kind of like revolves around. It's just presence. I, you know, it just makes you feel better as a person, makes you connected to the, the universe. I think that's easy if you have like pantheistic kind of beliefs, like the, the thing you were describing of God being one, yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, like, you know, I try to every night since then, I try to take a minute to express my gratitude out loud because I think that we always have something to be grateful for, even if it's just your ability to move or see or live at all. And if you don't feel grateful for what you have, you know, you can express gratitude for someone else's experience, and that can be really humbling and beneficial too. It's like we all complain so much, but it actually feels really good to be grateful. Like it feels even better. Yeah, I usually talk to the universe when I want something. 
you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like people say that, you know, you can think of God as like a father figure. Right. And I am a Jewish girl. Mm-hmm. So I talk <laughs> to the universe when I want Daddy's something. Daddy's little Jewess. Exactly. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, you know, like when I see a very questionable scab, I'll say something like, I know we've had our ups and downs, but I really need this to not be MRSA. Mm-hmm. I think that's funny because you're like, you were like, God is my sugar daddy. <laughs> I beg him not to give me MRSA. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, I don't really think I would ever take time to do anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. like, just talking to God if I don't want something. Because there's right. just so many other things I'd rather be doing. Like, why would I talk to God? That would be eating into my family guy time. Right. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, I get that. That is how I felt for most of my life, too. I found that, like, setting aside a time before bed to turn off all the lights, take a deep breath, and just, like, say my problems and fears out loud and say my thank yous and all that. That's been helpful and, like, letting me let things go. So I tell him just like chill vibes all the time. You know what I mean? It's like you reserve a little safe space for yourself. Cause like, I, yeah, I agree. Like I don't want to stop watching like my cartoons to like do that. Like I'm not going to do it in the middle of the day. Like I have my limits too. Okay. I'm not perfect. I'm not like a super spiritual person, but like I do try to like maintain the routine of just doing that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just not, I don't know. I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be kind of harmful to put yourself in that box though. Like, you know what you're not the kind of person that forgives yourself the kind of person that deserves to put your problems and anxieties to rest that feels grateful for your life you are okay so you got some okay so because i think anybody can be the kind of person that like respects themselves yeah i guess yeah i guess maybe (laughs) not everyone it does take a lot of work you know especially when we're so estranged from nature, like I was saying before. Like, I feel like it's just really hard to step out of our egos when we live in a world built to protect us from the reality that we're all going to die. Capitalism in general doesn't leave much room for pondering the nature of life. I feel like being out of nature causes mental illnesses in the same way that sea animals get depressed when they're put at, like, SeaWorld. Yeah, the world has become really secular, and while it's a good thing that we're not all ruled by organized religion as much anymore, it does mean there's a lack of connection with God on a pretty wide scale. Also, just to clarify to the listeners, we're using the word God synonymously with, like, higher power. We're not just talking about one God in particular. I think that's—I should have said that earlier, too, because I say, I say that word a lot. It's just, like, an intense word. It is a pretty I, intense. I word. think it, it, it try it, it. It's what I mean. I think some people even have the tendency to recoil when they just hear the word God. Yeah, that's why I say that because like I don't want people to think that I'm like trying to preach like one way of being spiritual. Like that's not what I'm saying. It's just like, cause yeah, no, I know, but it's it's one of those things that's like, why are we so triggered by it, words that are intense? Like that's how I felt about the word lesbian when I was a kid. Like, well, the word lesbian is literally stigmatized. Like, it's yeah, stigmatized. so is the word God in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, lesbian, sex, penis, vagina. <laughs> no, but I think um, with me especially in my relationship to religion and spirituality, there's this like cognitive dissonance where I simultaneously think religion and spirituality are stupid, but there is a need to connect with it because like, I don't know. I feel like it's because like it being Jewish, like more so than other religions, it allows for you to believe without believing in a sense. Like Judaism rests on the idea that the Messiah is coming in like this many years and if he does it, then I don't know. Jig is up, I guess. I <laughs> what know. the like, fuck? <laughs> the jig is up. I don't know. I can. Everybody still, go home. Yeah, everybody go home. It's not coming. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, I can still prescribe to the religion and the ritual and respect it culturally without placing my bet on the return of God. I mm-hmm. met a rabbi recently who said basically that the Messiah might not come, and if oh, he doesn't, then, it, then it's over. He was like, all right, then we're going to go home. Hear. We're going to secularize. <laughs> so there's less pressure, I think, than in Christianity, for instance, where it's like Jesus can come back whenever. His love is eternal. He is eternal. And Jews are taught that God hates us and might oh, not even be out mm-hmm. there for yeah, us. And no, we're for just sure. the Byzantine chaos of the universe. And I would... Look, I would take that as an answer if your cultural Judaism and your spiritual beliefs were intertwined. But you said yourself at the beginning that your personal belief system doesn't surround Yahweh, okay? You are actually more into 
that pantheism idea that God is the universe and the unity of our reality and all that. Yeah, but I think like any kind of spiritual or religious belief that I have is going to be guided by my cultural experience. But I know what you mean. Like I came to my definition of God through an acid trip, mm-hmm. not how it was taught to me necessarily. Yeah, I didn't always believe it. in God. You know, as we were talking about earlier, I got into some pretty bad things in 2008, you know, mm-hmm. internet atheism. <laughs> right. um, but then I did the acid and then I was like, how do I reconcile with having an individual concept of God and still being Jewish, but Judaism is kind of more lax about that kind of thing. So I feel mm. like there's a space for both to exist at the same time. At least that's what I tell myself. Okay, yeah. You know, I know that you say you're not spiritual, but uh, it kind of sounds like you're actually on a pretty straightforward spiritual journey. Don't even say that. Look, it, it, look it's not linear for everyone. I know it I'm has been for me. I'm on a spiritual subway ride, and I'm on the fucking C train, and it's delayed. Yeah, but you're on it, though, <laughs> and you're going to get there. It might no. be hard for you to grapple with it, and it might be, you know, uninteresting to you conceptually, but... If you were in your adulthood able to find a sense of God where it didn't exist before, then you might be more open-minded about this than you think. Listen, I can be open-minded and think it's cringe. Okay. I mean, the word the word for Jews, the word for the Jewish people is Israel, not to be confused with the political state of Israel, which has ruined the word for everybody else, but it means to wrestle with God. So, I don't know. It's I would have I'm going to have a hard I don't know. I have a hard time with religion. I believe in souls and stuff. Mhm. Whoa, what? <laughs> You believe in souls? Yeah. That's interesting. What do you think a soul is? Like your essence. Your vibes. Yeah. Vibes with a Y. Yeah, your your vibe, your essence, your being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the soul is the connection between the mind and the heart. I think it's like the thing inside of you that absorbs all the trauma and all the love and it carries that intergenerational learning you know, everything that like we've evolved, like all the behavioral patterns we've had to evolve to adapt to to survive in life like it's the part of us that transcends all understanding and is just embodied by energy that also connects to like that greater you know oneness yeah it's your personhood it develops with you where it comes from or goes i don't know oh, but i like that that sounded like a little blues song yeah i'm like dr seuss <laughs> Famous blues musician, Dr. Seuss. So uh, let me ask you something else. Do you think that you have to have a practice to be spiritual or that you just have to believe? I mean, I think that that's up to the individual. You know, I think whether or not you identify as a spiritual person depends on how you define spirituality. You know, personally, Mm -hmm. I define it as like being in touch with your higher power, not just believing that one is out there, but actually making an effort to like make meaning of it in your life. And I think that varies from person to person, but, you know, I feel like for me, I wouldn't feel like there's a point in believing in something greater than me if I wasn't going to use that faith to, like, be a better contributor to society and, like, be a kinder person to myself. Because practice can take many different forms, you know. It can be meditation, like how people think it is, or, like, sharing gratitude or repeating mantras or making goals to do things that you feel, like, honor those principles of whatever religion or belief system that you follow is. Like, if you believe that God is love or that God is connectedness, then making a daily effort to listen and extend yourselves to other people, like, that's a form of practice, too. It doesn't have to be contained in, like, a space, you know? Well, I mean, like, I definitely strive to treat others well, and I think a lot of people do, not necessarily because of a spiritual or a religious belief, but because I just think it's the right thing to do, you know, golden rule and all that. Yeah. I mean, but not everyone makes an effort to extend themselves, it honestly like takes most people a lot of work to remember to be considerate at all. I mean, I definitely have moments where I have to remind myself to be patient and take a step back from a situation to align myself, you know, and align with my principles mm-hmm. because it's not instinctual to be a less reactive person, I don't think. You know, I don't think my spirituality like affects the way I treat people, but it definitely works as a tool to rein myself back in if I need to. So you don't think it's necessary to be spiritual to be a good person, but you think that it makes it easier if you have a strong connection to a higher power. I mean... I agree with that to an extent, but it just reminds me of, like, how extremely religious any kind of, like, fundamentalist religious person will say, like, you need to believe in this religion to be a good person. Like, without religion, nobody will be a good person. And I think think that's not true. I think that people will be, will try to treat others well because they know it's the right thing to do. Right, yeah. But when I say, like, people who have a good connection, I don't just mean, like, heavily religious people. 
you know, there are a lot of heavily religious people who don't necessarily have a healthy relationship with God, and even if it's a strong one, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, like, I, I don't know. I don't think you need any kind of connection with any kind of higher power to be a good person. And I guess that's what we were saying, but I just, I don't know. But why do you think that there's a lot of religious people who don't have a healthy relationship with God? Because I think that a lot of their faith is built on fear. And what what should faith be built on? <laughs> You're so Jewish. I mean, in my opinion, it should be built on gratitude, you know. I feel like I've made it clear that it's very important to me. Not love? I think love is hard to define. You know, it's easy to not feel loved by God if things are going wrong in your life. But if you practice gratitude, it's easier to identify the ways in which it feels like a higher power is expressing a form of love. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't actually believe that God is fear. I guess it can feel that way in times of distress, like, you know, when I'm anxious and begging for mercy. That's out of fear. Right. <laughs> and that makes sense, you know, and that still counts as, like, a form of connection because you're submitting your will in those moments. The worst that I ever feel is when I'm disconnected from my passions and disconnected from the people around me, from my body, from nature. You know, all of those things are components of God in my under, like, the way that I see it in my understanding. Why do you see those things as components of God? Because they're all microcosms of connectedness. I believe that we're all part of this like neural network that's woven with the thread of the human experience, you know, so things like interpersonal relationships and creative pursuits and physical maintenance, you know, all of those are integral to experiencing life. And so they're components of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Kind of microcosms of connectedness. Yeah, like we can, we can all find meaning in our relationships. And we all base a lot of our decisions on our goals. And we need to take care of our vessel if we want to survive at optimal capacity. Like if you're thinking about it in the most basic terms, you know, anything that's fundamental to the experience of life. And I'm not even just talking about human life, just life in general. Like everything has its maintenance. Like those are components of God to me. Any and all biological life. Right, exactly. So in order to connect back with those things, you know, those components, I have to first ask myself, like, what is really wrong? Like, so much of the time, it's like, we know we're not going to like the answer. And because so, sometimes the answer is that X that you can't seem to stop fucking or the drugs that you can't seem to stop taking or the sleep that you can't seem to stop getting, like, you know, or picking seem to stop scab. getting that too, but also <laughs> seem to prevent. Yeah, picking your scabs. Yeah, I like said. to pick my scabs, yeah. Isn't that like a compulsion though? Like, you can't. Honestly, it's more like an addiction than a compulsion. So like, maybe, mm. but it's honestly, it feels more like smoking a cigarette to me than like other <laughs> compulsions like you taking smoke breaks from your job to go outside and pick your listen scabs. sometimes i pick my scabs and like once i pick i'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like I, needed I don't that. know if i can support this one on the pod they get super infected and that's when i'll finally stop it like has to be at the point where i'm scared yeah exactly you get it you know some things that are more in our control than we like to think they are and sometimes they're not, of course. Some things are just purely circumstantial. Like, I acknowledge that that is a thing that happens. It happens to me all the time. But, like, taking the time to truly check in on yourself without any judgment, as if checking in on a small child. That's, like, how I like to think about it. Like, you know, and it can be really beneficial to, to just, like, treat yourself with kind of, like, gentleness. <clears throat> Once I, like kind of get myself together and identify the problem, I have to re-motivate myself to fix it by convincing myself that salvation is even worth it because sometimes that happens, you know? And yeah. I have to remind myself of the vastness of God and the beauty that connectedness has brought to my life and if I want to, like, keep my will to live. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you do that practically? <coughs> I try to take space and reminisce on positive memories, you know, breathe fresh air, look at old photos, old writing, implement stretching and eating and sleeping more regularly into my life. I know that it all sounds super corny and it's the last thing any mentally ill person wants to hear. But the reason that people keep saying all this shit is because it really does work. And sometimes you have to practice first against all like resistance of your body and then your mind will follow. I know how it sounds, but it's how it is. Yeah, I mean, exercising and getting eight hours of sleep a night, like over quarantine, I started doing both of those things. And I've been pretty good at maintaining that routine, even as things have picked up. Honestly, I was pretty amazed at the way that both of those things improve my mental health. I know, because doesn't it suck when like corny self-care advice is actually just basic knowledge with scientific evidence that works? I mean, yeah, but I actually think a lot of the reluctance towards self-care is because like 
people who are intertwined with the spiritual community um, will sell it as an alternative to going to therapy and going on meds. And that thought, it's kind of like, it's sold to people and mentally ill people will start to resent that advice because these same spiritual people say you need to do these things instead of going to therapy and going on meds. No, yeah. Like, I know what you mean. And even people with old school mentalities, like even many people who are more religious than spiritual or even neither, you know, who grew up at a time that mental health was stigmatized and medication was stigmatized, like they'll all tell you to drink water and then you'll feel better. And the therapy is for people who, quote unquote, actually need it. And I think like a lot of people's parents work that way, too. Like, it's not j- you know what I mean? It's like there's many different kinds of people. I just think that that's a lot of why there's resentment towards being spiritual in general. It's people within the spiritual community, these people that have given spirituality a bad rep, right? Like there's no such thing as being fully enlightened. Anybody who says that they are like obviously isn't. They're just some kind of self-important asshole. And if the spiritual community is... Damn, come for their throats. (laughs) What about the fake spiritual heads that want to follow us? Like, shit listen, they can follow us, but they know where I stand. If the spiritual community, though, is not just annoying people preaching incense online, then who are they? Do you have any recommendations for people who want to start looking deeper into spirituality? I think that's a great question. You know, I guess a lot of people don't even know where to begin with that. I know I had a hard time getting into it. I honestly got into it, like, through cartoons, like, through Midnight Gospel. (laughs) I think that started my thinking about actually trying to, like, seek out texts and also rehab. Um, but the four agreements, that was a good introduction to the idea of like laying down virtues, um, Don Miguel Ruiz, he uses like very simple language to unpack those concepts of unlocking personal freedom and like submitting to a higher power, that kind of thing. Um, anything Alan Watts has to say about God or just anything by Alan Watts. Oh, so like those YouTube videos with the animated mushrooms. Yeah, with his voice, like, it's yeah. all echoey over it, yeah. literally. Hey, that could be a fun visual stim for if you want to start getting into spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman are super smart. I think that they learned a lot from Ramdas. Um, I hear a lot about Chagyam Champa Rinpoche from Duncan Trussell's podcast, which is the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. And that's been a very good source for conversations with like big voices in the spiritual community, people who are like, you know, more so the people I was talking about to take your advice from, not the TikTok girlies as much. But you can get advice from them too. Like, if like fucking, what is it, angel numbers make you happy. (laughs) But yeah. you know, I think that those are some good places to start. And of course, each source will lead you to other places, you know, eventually maybe even to original religious and spiritual texts from ancient cultures or just other cultures. That's a great list of recommendations. I obviously don't have as many, but for those of you who might have a harder time entering a concept as intense as this one, I can recommend researching a little bit about the God Particle as like a scientific... The God Particle! God Particle <laughs> as a scientific entryway into exploring you some of these ideas. You gave the way you said I really that. did. That's, I'm not bimbo. a scientist or a spiritual then person. Then why are you wearing that lab coat and that crystal around <laughs> your neck? Fuck, you got me. <laughs> yeah, no, the God Particle, is that's an interesting concept. I mean, I'm not the best at science either, but I definitely like thinking about like scientific concepts and it could be like a good thing for atheists or agnostic people to think about, you know, people who value like science as a means of proving God instead of like just, you know, wishy-washy spirituality or whatever. Right. I mean, well, it's not, it's not scientific proof of God. In fact, an article I read in like some kind of science magazine when I was researching this said that any scientist will recoil if you say it's proof of God, but whatever, they're annoying. Go recoil on some bitches, but it is kind of scientific. Go recoil on some bitches. (laughs) It's kind of scientific proof of the opposite of God being real. It proves that scientists, the scientist model of the creation of the universe was correct. Um, And that's the opposite? Yeah, well, I don't know. Why does it have to be the opposite? I mean, it doesn't have to be the opposite. That's the whole point. Hold two things at once. Just because, like, scientists were right about observing the way that the universe is held together doesn't mean that that is a greater power than... Definitely. I actually agree. And that's why, you know, my dad told me about the God particle and he used it to explain why he's both a scientist and somebody who believes in God. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, The actual name of it is the Higgs boson particle and its existence proves that there is a field that runs through the entire universe, kind of proving that there's unity that exists on that level. Wow. So like just like a big kind of web. 
kind of in a way Maybe, magnetic field yeah. but I'm not a particle physicist no but like you get it like you get the <laughs> visual like I well that's okay we can just continue to speculate about it like maybe that's where souls come from and go from who knows yeah I think that that's really beautiful honestly because it's just kind of like the perfect embodiment of what I was saying before about like that neural network and I feel like the goal is to be as conscious and honoring of that network that connects everything as we can you know I mean for me the reason that I love storytelling for instance is because it's such a human thing to do to be able to like share your experience with someone who didn't experience it firsthand but still be able to elicit the same emotion from them that you were feeling when you were experiencing it. Like that just always reminds me of like that universal connectedness, you know, to describe a pain that you feel like to someone else and make them cry your tears or when someone tells you something funny that happened to them and it makes you laugh. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. If you don't make the active effort to like recognize that, if you're not putting your pussy into trying to have a connection and be spiritual. Like, are you still a spiritual person? Um, I mean, no. Like, if you have no interest in making any effort to connect to your higher power, then, like, you're probably not very spiritual because you haven't given yourself room to be. I think that makes sense. Like, would you consider someone an artistic person if they've never done any art? Like, you might be able to understand the importance of art and maybe to have some, like, creative choices you need to make in your life. But if you're not actually participating, then you're not necessarily artistic do you know like I think the same goes for spirituality like that doesn't mean you can't change that though or you have to identify as a spiritual person even if you do make room for practice it's all up to each person do you think everyone should be spiritual or is it okay not to be I feel like I'm in the I'm fucking court right now like, <laughs> I feel like I'm like representing like a whole community like girl I don't know like of course it's okay not to be spiritual I'm sure people live very fulfilling lives without any interest in the higher power I do think, though, that it would make anyone's life richer to focus on, like, a relationship with a higher power. But I don't think it's impossible to have a happy life without one. Uh, I definitely agree with the sentiment that, like, if you practice gratitude for what you have, it's going to make you happier. It's going to make anybody happier. I also think it's super interesting, though, that obviously we can butt heads on this kind of thing and really challenge mm -hmm. each other's schools of thoughts, but still be best friends and share so many different perspectives. That's true. Yeah, I mean, even within this concept, we agreed many times. Like, I think it's healthy to push for this kind of conversation with the people closest to you because it's a really personal thing and it can get really vulnerable, but it can also offer a lot of insight for both sides. And it destigmatizes talking about things that remind us of, like, death and, like, being mortal and all that. Definitely good to have tough combos. Mm -hmm. Tough combos with the girlies. Tough combos with the girlies on a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I hope you guys don't mind that this episode was a little more personal and a little more serious. You know, I think as we're building a platform, we want to make space to, like, talk about some of the more existential thinking in our generation. I mean, of course, both of our perspectives have been consistently represented throughout history. You know, this kind of debate is pretty much as old as philosophy and religion itself, but it's, it doesn't hurt to revisit it, you know? If I can hear the same TikTok song a thousand times in a row like, and be fine, then it's okay to repeat certain conversations, I think. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at WJHPod or on Instagram at What's Gonna Happen Pod. And please make sure to give us a rate and review on whichever app you're listening on. And from the nap I took after listening to a nine-hour-long Alan Watts lecture complete with animated mushrooms, this has been What's Gonna Happen. <laughs>